everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the True Path Podcast. So today we're in session three of our study in 2 Peter, and we're discussing chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. So last week, Peter was emphasizing to his readers the importance of remembering his words, remembering his teachings, because he will soon, according to verse 14, be laying aside his tent. So there are two main reasons why Peter thinks it's so important to remember his words after he's gone. The first reason we discussed last week, because he knows he's not going to be alive much longer to remind them and encourage them to continue following Christ and growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And the second reason why it's imperative to remember his words is because these teachings are from Jesus himself. The words and teachings Peter's giving us are God's words. And in today's passage, he's going to prove it. So if you've ever wondered if everything in the Bible is true, if everything in the Bible can be believed, well, today's study is for you. So let's begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 in the CSB. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven, while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word, strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So back in verse 15, it told us that Peter wanted us to recall what he said about Jesus because what he said about Jesus was not a myth. It's all true. And Peter can prove it because he, along with the other disciples, saw it with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. This is not just hearsay, but a firsthand account. They were not following cleverly contrived myths when they revealed the power and coming of Jesus. Now, Peter's calling attention to this because the Roman world at that time was awash with myths and made-up gods. The Romans worshipped 12 major gods, such as Jupiter, the god of the sky, and Mars, the god of war. They also had 151 minor gods, ranging anywhere from gods of piety to gods of jealousy. Pretty much anything about the world or humanity, Romans employed a god to oversee it. Yet none of it was true. It was all fabricated from the minds of human beings. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves, because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But true faith is founded on historical facts, not stories. And Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' majesty. Now, what majesty is Peter referring to here? 
Well, according to verses 17 and 18, it says, For he received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven, while we were with him on the holy mountain. So here Peter's referring to Jesus' transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 1 through 9, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So why does Peter use the transfiguration as the example of Jesus' majesty? Well, because this event confirmed Peter's testimony that Jesus is God's Son, because he, James, and John all heard the voice of God himself proclaim it. It also confirmed the reality of Jesus' kingdom. The transfiguration was a foretaste of what it will be like when Jesus returns in glory and majesty to establish his eternal kingdom, which not only corroborates Peter's and the disciples' testimony, but also fulfills the prophetic words of the Old Testament. Just check out Isaiah chapters 9, 52, and 53. You see, Peter wanted to make it clear that Jesus' first coming isn't all there is. He's coming back. And we can be just as confident of that as we are about his first coming. And he also wants to make clear the fact that his second coming will not be in humility, but in power. And it will not involve suffering, but glory. It is a day we should look forward to with joy. My commentary says Peter wanted his readers to look beyond Christ's first coming to the time when he will return with that same honor and glory demonstrated on the mountain. Verse 19 says, We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So the words of the prophets of the Old Testament have been confirmed through the life and ministry of Jesus. Let me give you some examples of this. For instance, compare what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7:14, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Compare that with Matthew 1:21 through 23, when the angel told Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It also says all this took place to fulfill what was said through the prophet. Also compare Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 which says the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute will shout for joy. 
Compare that with Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, healing every disease and sickness. Compare Isaiah 61.1, which says, The Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the poor, and freedom to the prisoners. Compare that with Luke 4.16-21, where Jesus entered the synagogue in Nazareth and reads this same passage from Isaiah and says, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Compare Zechariah 9.9. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. Compare that with Matthew 21.7 and 8. The disciples brought a donkey and they laid their clothes on it and Jesus sat on it. And a very large crowd placed branches and clothes on the road and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And finally, compare Psalm 1610, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. With Acts 1335, as to his raising Jesus from the dead, never to return to decay. And Mark 166, the angel told the woman at the tomb, Jesus is not here. He has risen. So, we have an eyewitness account to the glory and honor bestowed on Christ. We have a witness to the very voice of God proclaiming Jesus as his son. And we have the words of the prophets being fulfilled right in front of them. And as Peter says, we need to pay attention to all of this evidence because it is like light for us. I read a quote that said, The fulfillment of prophecy so far in Christ's history makes us all the more sure of what is yet to be fulfilled. So everything foretold about Jesus so far has come true. And because of that, we can believe with confidence about what Scripture says about his second coming. Because as we all know, the world, it can be a dark place. And we're continually bombarded with alternative theories and views on how we should live our lives. How are we going to know which way to turn? Well, we must hold on to the light of Scripture. Psalm 119.105 says, His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Think for a moment about what light does. It leads. It guides. It protects. It comforts. It reveals. It even nourishes and dispels darkness. And notice the verse says, As a lamp shining in a dark place. The world is a dark place, and the only way that we're going to be able to see our way through it is by adhering to the truths of Scripture. It kind of reminds me of the Lord of the Rings, when Frodo enters the dark, dank corridors of the enemy in Mordor to fulfill his mission to destroy the ring. As Frodo slowly makes his way through the darkness, he's completely unaware that a terrifying giant spider is stalking him. When the spider attacks, Frodo's only defense is using the vial of Galadriel, which flashes brilliant white light, stunning and fending off his enemy. When Frodo accidentally drops the vial, his only protection, he's immediately attacked and captured by the spider. It's only when his best friend Sam retrieves the vial of light and shines it on the deadly spider that Frodo is saved. Not only did the light expose the enemy, but it overcame the enemy. And the moment Frodo lost contact with the light, he was immediately attacked. 
God's word is light. Psalm 119, 130 says the revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 18.30 says the word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. So God's word, that is what we have to give us wisdom to guide our lives. Therefore, we must hold it close to us. We must read it and apply the truths we read. We must let it change us. Because one day, as verse 19 tells us, the day will dawn and the morning star will rise. What an encouragement this is, because the darkness will one day be completely overcome. This again is a reference to Christ's return. You see, the light of Scripture is a lamp in a dark place. It helps us to see ourselves, our world, and most importantly, our God more clearly. Scripture gives us a picture of who God is. But just like a lamp that shines in a dark place, it may light your vicinity. It may light where you are, but there's still darkness present. There are still things that we can't see. While scripture gives us a picture of who God is, it's not a complete picture because we are not yet complete. We are still imperfect sinners. Therefore, we don't always see all there is to see. I don't always see that God will protect me no matter what because I allow doubt and fear to creep into my mind. You may not be able to see all there is about God either. Maybe you have trouble seeing God as a forgiver because you haven't accepted the fact that he's forgiven you. We may see ourselves as unworthy of forgiveness. But whichever characteristic of God we may struggle seeing clearly and completely, we must understand we don't see the completed picture. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I will know fully as I am fully known. So there is a day coming when we won't just see by use of a lamp because the day will dawn and the morning star will rise. Jesus is the morning star. Jesus calls himself this in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, And the dawn, of course, is when he returns in power and glory. Romans thirteen twelve says the night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Peter closes the chapter by saying in verses 20 and 21, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter says he's telling them what they already know. But being reminded about the authority of Scripture, that is paramount in the Christian life. It is the very words of God. If it was from man's interpretation alone, then the word would not be a light in a dark place. And it certainly wouldn't be pointing to the dawn, the second coming of Christ. It is only Scripture, God's word, that can truly change your life. 
Now, I know there are some people who have read the latest novel or self-help book or post, and they say, wow, that really changed my life. And some people do base their lives on what they read, things other than scripture. But those things are not the truth and the light that will dispel the darkness. And even Christian authors say good things, and the things they say are right and true. I read many commentaries to enhance my Bible study. But the words of even learned Christians who are strong in the faith should not overshadow or supersede the Bible. We must not build our foundation upon the words of people, but on the words of God. Because the people who wrote the Bible, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. My commentaries say that God was the source of the content of Scripture, so that what it says is what God has said. And Scripture's human authors were controlled by the divine author, the Holy Spirit. Yet, they were also continually involved in the process, God and man were both active participants. The human author actively spoke. It wasn't like he was just taking dictation or he was just merely being a recorder of God's words. Verse 21 says men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, carried along from the Greek means to drive along or to move as a person in a ship over the sea. Another meaning is to rush, like a gust of wind. The same form of the Greek word is used in Acts 27:17, when it says, Fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. It's also used in Acts 2:2 in reference to the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. All this kind of reminded me of my husband, Greg. He spent his summers as a kid at his family's lake cottage. And one of his favorite pastimes was to go sailing in his single-person sailboat. He would even sail down to the end of the lake on the weekends and participate in sailboat races. Now, in the morning, on the way down to the race and during the race, the wind was blowing strong and steady. And as long as he made sure to place his sail in line with the wind, it got him where he needed to go. But by lunchtime, when the race was over and it was time to sail back home, inevitably it seemed like the wind just disappeared. So you can imagine being in a sailboat with no wind what Greg had to do. Without the wind, the sails were useless. The only thing he could do was paddle back home. It was the wind that gave the boat its power. It was the wind that gave the boat guidance. But... It was also Greg, the person on the boat, who placed the sails in the proper position to receive the wind and carry the boat along to its destination. God could have given us his word directly, but instead he chose to reveal his words through human beings and allowed them to incorporate their own personalities into it, which in my mind is even more miraculous 
that God could dispense his perfect words through imperfect people is a miracle in my opinion. The Bible is infallible, but its authors, they're not. Only God could accomplish something like that. So can God's word be trusted? Absolutely. Can you bet your life on it? (laughs) We better. So our challenge for this week is to commit a verse of scripture to memory and let God's word encourage and strengthen you. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.